This morning will be Exodus 2, 1 through 10. During this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw what a beautiful baby he was and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon after this, one of Pharaoh's daughters came down to the bathe in the river, and her servant's girl walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the little basket among the reeds, she took one of her servant girls to go get it for her. As the princess opened it, she found the baby boy. His helpless cries touched her heart. He must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Shall I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do that, the princess replied. So the girl rushed home and called the baby's mother. Take this child home and nurse him for me, the princess told her. I will pay you for your help. So the baby's mother took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when he was older, the child's mother brought him back to the princess who adopted him as her son. The princess named him Moses, for she said, I drew him out of the water. So I, I was enjoying my Friday evening and then suddenly got this, uh, this message on my phone. And uh, it, was, it was from Pastor DJ, and he asked if I would fill in this morning. And I, of course, said that I would, but, but uh, normally when I have the opportunity to, to bring you a sermon, I have a little bit more advance notice than, than what I had today. But we're going to trust the Lord that, that he gave the words to me that he wanted you to hear this morning. As I had some time in prayer yesterday, I just asked the Lord to guide me to the insights that I felt that he would want me to share today. And so after some time wrestling back and forth with that, I, I landed on what we're going to talk about, which is having a 30,000-foot view. And we have uh, an interesting passage of scripture that was just read for us that gives one of just countless numbers of time, times when we look at scripture and if you took one little piece of that, you would only have a portion of the story. But you actually have to step back and look at the broader story of that person's life to really understand what God was doing. And then if you step back even further and you look at the whole one story of scripture, you can see how these different stories intersect. And what's amazing is that God is using each one of our stories as brothers and sisters in Christ as people living for him today, our story becomes part of God's unfolding story as he continues to carry that out. And so I'm excited to dive in and 
look at this idea of going to 30,000 feet, but we're going to begin with prayer and then I'll launch into this. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. And we thank you for your word, the Bible, that you've given to us, that gives us insight into your character and just who you are. And in staring at you, we have the opportunity to understand how it is that we should live. And so, Father, we ask that you'd open this to us today so that we can take steps of growth and life as we continue living. Thank you, Father. We love you. Amen. So, 30,000 feet, there's a number of years ago, I was, I was uh, flying home from a ministry engagement in Europe. And we weren't quite at 30,000 feet, but we had lifted off in uh, continental Europe, and, and it was one of those trips that it was, uh, you know, it, it was a hard week or so of ministry. I had been speaking a number of different times. Those of you that don't know, I serve a ministry called Christian Endeavor, and I'm flying several times during the year and doing teaching and training in various parts of the world, and this was one of those times. And so... I had boarded the plane, and I generally don't sleep on planes, and that's a whole nother story for another day that you could ask me about. It's not because I don't want to, it's just my body doesn't seem to let me sleep on planes. And so, I, uh, but I was tired from this trip, and I kind of settled into my seat, and I'm like, oh man, I just want to check out. And yet, it was about 30, 40 minutes into our flight, and, and I hadn't fallen asleep, and the captain, said over the, the loudspeaker, everyone, if you look out the right side of the plane, you will be able to look down and see the white cliffs of Dover. Now, I'd never visited the white cliffs of Dover. I think I'd seen some movies that had them in it. Wasn't it Chariots of Fire or something in that? I mean, you know, it's just, they, they had them in it. But, of course, I looked out the right side of the plane, and it was just amazing. We were at a time of the day that, that the sun was just hitting those cliffs, and they just were reflecting the rays of the sun. And it was absolutely awesome. Now, if if I had been down on the ground and I had been a few yards away from those cliffs, they still would have been amazing. I would have looked up at them and I would have been in awe. But because I had the viewpoint that I had, I had that 30,000 foot view or however high we were, I was able to see the full picture. And it was just awesome. A few years ago, for, for one of uh, Jen and my anniversaries, I, uh, I said I would take her on a hot air balloon ride of Lancaster. Now, you have to understand something. When it's it said when people go on a date, at least one of the two 
have to be having a great time. I am terribly afraid of heights. And so I said, I said that I would do this, not, not because Jen was like yearning for me to do it, but I knew she would love it. So I went and I, I got this all set up and she didn't know. It was a surprise and all of that. But we went up in this balloon and she is like a kid in a candy store. She's like, oh, look over there. And oh, 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 look over there. And she's pointing at everything. And I am white knuckled back here because you're not strapped into these baskets. You're just hanging out in these baskets. I would have been happy if I would have had like, like an 85-point harness, you know, just down over me to keep me in. But there's nothing like that. So I'm like wrapped around the pole in the center of the thing going, yeah, that's great, dear. That's, that's, that's great. All that aside, the view was amazing. And in fact, the captain of our, our little uh, you know, hot air balloon there, he said that Lancaster is one of the best places that you can actually do a hot air balloon ride. And it's because the farmers keep their farmland so meticulous in our area. Uh, that you go over the top of the farmland and everything you see, and it's just so meticulously well kept. But because you're up at that view, you can look down and you can see everything. You're not just on the ground seeing one little part. Now, how this all kind of connects for us today is we see life through a peephole. It's like there's a, a, a fence that, that had a knot knocked out of it. And that's the view. That's the view that we get of the whole grand parade that's marching down the street. And we are left to look at it. And this is what we get. There's a much broader view of what's happening. But we don't get the 30,000 foot view of life. We get this in our finite understanding. And so then as we go through things, good things, difficult things, we celebrate because we beat the Braves. We wallow in muck because we lost to the Astros. You know, we, we, get, we get a part. We don't see what's coming next. And you can see that as we learn about a person in the Bible, and maybe you don't even know her name, because you might have heard or read the passage that Kathy read for us this morning from Exodus chapter 2, and you might read that and you go, wow, I, I wish we knew the name of Moses' mother. We're actually given her name the name of Moses' mother and father, but not in this passage. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 20 is when we read about it, but in that section, there's a lineage that lays out all of these different people with names that, you know, I, I didn't ask, ask Kathy to read that passage of scripture, of which she was thankful, uh, to read through, read through all of these names that are very hard, hard to pronounce, many of them. But in the midst of that, we learn that Moses' mother's name was Jochebed. And we also learn that Moses' father was Amram. 
Now, you might be wondering, why in the world does that, does that matter? Well, the interesting piece is there's this guy named Kohath. Kohath had a sister, and his sister was named Jochebed. But Kohath had a son, and his son's name was Amram. That's right. Amram married his aunt Jochebed. Now we read that and we go, wait a minute, that's not okay. And you can go and you can read in the Old Testament and the Levitical laws that, that are in the early part of the Old Testament, this kind of relationship was not okay because it mirrored what the Israelites, what the Hebrew people saw from the Egyptians. For the Egyptians, they could do whatever they wanted when it came to marriage. But God's people were to be set apart. They were to live differently. And so this was not okay. And yet, this was the situation of what happened. And what came from the marriage of these two people were three kids. Miriam, Aaron, and then along, then along comes their third child, Moses. Moses is born at a time when Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had decided that, that uh, the Hebrew people were becoming too numerous and too powerful. So he was going to have any boys killed. He asked the midwives, the Egyptian midwives, to make sure that any Hebrew boys were killed. But they knew that that was wrong. So they, they made up a lie. And what they said was, oh, well, the, uh, the Hebrew women are more vigorous than the Egyptian women, and so they have the babies before we can arrive. So that's how they were able to maneuver that situation. But then Pharaoh says, okay, we're going to take any of these young boys and we're going to throw them into the Nile. And so that is the situation and the time of when Moses was born. But when Moses was born, his mother Jochebed looked at him and said, wow, look at this child. And she knew she didn't want to part with this child. So the word says that she hid him for three months. Could you imagine three months? Three months trying to hide a baby from everybody else. I don't know how they pulled that off. We're not given the details. But I do know this. There were no Coriel babies that were hiding from anybody when they were birthed into this world. They made plenty of noise. So for three months, Jochebed hides Moses. Then, realizing she can't hide him anymore, she takes a basket. Now what's interesting, there's a bunch of foreshadowing going on here that we can't understand because we read it in English. There are two times in the Bible when this word for basket show up. 
The first time is in Genesis, and this is the second time. And the first time it's used is actually translated as an ark. An ark of which we understand carried the remaining life, the remaining life on the planet with Noah and his extended family and the animals that were brought in. So this is the second time we hear about a vessel carrying something of crucial importance. And for us, we're like, yeah, it's a, it's a basket, okay? But for the people that originally read this, they would have read it and gone, wow, this basket is carrying something so important that is going to make a huge difference, but we don't know how yet. Jochebed takes this basket and she coats it with tar and pitch, puts Moses in the basket, and then puts the basket into the reeds of the Nile. So by the side of the Nile River, a place where there would have been reeds that grew up. Now, what we learn in the midst of this, all right, this, this is what we get so far. This is the slice that we have so far. And it's easy to read on and miss this whole 30,000 foot point that I'm trying to get at today. Stop at that point and recognize the absolute anguish that Jochebed would have been feeling. Absolute anguish. She has had to take her child, put it in a basket, and set it out in the Nile. Fully thinking that this is probably it. So imagine her pain as she said goodbye to her child, thinking that it might be the last that she ever sees her child again. But we get to go to 30,000 feet. We get to stand back and see a bigger picture. Because what happens next is Pharaoh's daughter comes and walks in the same place that this basket had been placed. Now, is there a chance that Jochebed knew where Pharaoh's daughter would walk each morning by the Nile? Sure, there's a chance of that. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we do know that Pharaoh's daughter walked along that same part of the Nile and saw a basket down in the reeds, sent her servant girl down to get that basket. The basket was grabbed, and the only place in the Bible where it tells us that a baby cried happens to be this place, where Moses cried and compassion came to the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. Then, Moses' older sister happened to have been watching all of this. Now, was she curious? Maybe. Was she called to be there? Maybe. Maybe it was both. But she was watching. And when that basket was picked up and Moses started crying, she worked her way over to Pharaoh's daughter and said, would you like me to find someone to nurse that baby for you? 
Pharaoh's daughter said, yes. Could you imagine the moment? Again, we're not told in scripture, but could you imagine the moment where Miriam comes running into her house and says, Mom, you need to come nurse Moses. At which point she would have said, child, don't I have enough pain? Aren't I dealing with enough pain that I've had to let Moses go? And you're telling me I'm supposed to go nurse him? And she said, no, no, mom, this is what happened. And you know what else? You're not only going to nurse Moses. Pharaoh's daughter is going to pay for you to do it. All of a sudden, Moses' mother was able to raise him and had the income from the Egyptian government to take care of what was needed. 30,000 feet is a really, really awesome place to hang out. And we get to do it with character upon character across Scripture. I challenge you, you know, if, if you're having a hard time relating to a, you know, to, to a mother that, that had to birth a, a child or whatever, you know, look, look up Moses. Uh, look up, uh, sorry, look up Joseph. Look up Joseph. Go to the book of Genesis and read Joseph and see how he went through the hills and valleys, but how God used that from 30,000 feet. It's just, it's just awesome. So now, if nothing else happens today, you walk home knowing who Jochebed is, if you hadn't understood who she was. But God used somebody with a challenged beginning, a greater challenge of having to part with her son, thinking his ultimate death was coming, but then brought about something absolutely incredible that she couldn't have ever imagined was going to happen in the way that it happened. Now, how does this relate to us today? 2022, we're sitting here, that, 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 that's great that that happened to Jochebed, but what does it mean for us? I think all of us, whether it was in the last day, week, month, year, several years, could point to something in our life that happened. And when that happened, it was paralyzing, absolutely paralyzing. But as time unfolded, we may have been able to see that something else was at play because we had the chance to go to 30,000 feet. Now, some of us are sitting here and going, well, you know, there's some things that happened in my life that, that I don't have that resolution yet. And you may not get that in this life. That resolution may come when it says in the Bible that when we are with God, all things will be revealed. But there's something that we can know. We know that there is no empty tomb without a cross. In that moment when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, giving us the opportunity to connect in relationship and fellowship with God, in that moment when we just have the cross, we've got pain 
beyond measure. But we don't get the empty tomb without the cross. At 30,000 feet, we can look down at the story in Scripture, and we can see that Jesus needed to come, that he needed to die on the cross, but we see that he rose again, that he rose, and we know that he is going to come for us again. We get 30,000 feet because we have the whole Scripture. Uh, last, last weekend, we had a fun moment in the Coriel family. Our, our son, Ben, uh, many of you know, was engaged. Yeah, so, so the first, uh, first of the four Coriel clan has become engaged. And that was, that was a, a very cool moment. And again, at 30,000 feet, we can, we can look at that moment. We can go, this is great. What led up to this moment? So... Ben goes and he, buy, he buys the ring, right? And he had some discussion with his father about this, and this, this was a fun time. This was all unfolding. And he was told it'd be four to six weeks, and this ring would arrive. Of course, he's making all of his plans and how he's going to do everything. Uh, eight weeks had passed, and he gets a phone call. Mr. Coriel... He's not used to being called Mr. Coriel, but uh, Mr. Coriel, we're so sorry when we tried to set the diamond on the band, the band exploded. Now, I, I don't know a lot about jewelry. I don't exactly know how bands explode. But I did know as soon as Ben said that, I knew it was not a good thing. Well, in here it was specially made and had to be brought in from China and just all this kind of stuff and it was like oh it was going to be a minimum of three weeks and just oh and it could unfold and be longer and just and there's all this stuff and so I'm working with Ben and I'm getting the anguish of the moment the pain in this slice of life it ended up working out you know they they set the diamond on another band he was able to propose she said yes, um, and, and you know, they're going to swap it out when the other one comes and, and all this, but, but all, all is good and all is right with the world now. From 30,000 feet, we can see some of this now. I'm trying to tell Ben in a moment, Ben, you have no idea what's going to unfold with this. I'm so sorry that you have to go through this. This is really hard for you. I don't know why you had to endure it. But God will use this. And I remember saying that to him and thinking, oh, man, he's probably going, oh, yeah, Dad, whatever. The jewelry company came back to him and said they're going to save hundreds of dollars on their wedding bands because the company realized they totally, they totally blew it. Now, that's, it's a small thing, right, in the midst of the big thing. But 30,000 feet looking down. So now, for each of us, as we think about the challenges that we're going through, the message that I give this morning doesn't take pain away. But what it does is it puts us in a position to trust. 
because we can read the pages of Scripture and we can see that time and time again, God can be trusted. This message is something that is helpful before we get into the situation of pain. And so I hope for some of us it can be that thing that we remember so in the future, when pain comes, because it does come to each one of us, when pain comes, we can remember the 30,000-foot view to look down on all that God could be doing and make sure that we fervently trust him even in the darkest moments. As we celebrate all saints, we have many people, and we saw their pictures on the screen that we knew, that we, we loved, and there can be a pain with them not being here with us now. But because of their relationship with Christ, they have fellowship with him. And we can trust in the dark moment of our grief of not being with them. From 30,000 feet, there's something we can know that God did in us through their lives that we can continue to live out for the glory of God so that other people can come to know Jesus Christ. I hope in the midst of this you can find some encouragement as we've stared at a slice of Jochebed's life and then looked at a more full picture and had the opportunity to apply that to ourselves, I'll close with the encouragement as we go out of here to think about what practice do you have in your life to help you take a step back and say, God, what are you doing? The art of reflection is lost in much of our society today because we move so fast. But when we step back and re we reflect, we have the opportunity to see things that God might be doing that we miss if we just are living everything in the moment.